Yeah, so sorry, you were saying about New York. Everyone leaves for the summer, right? It's like August, everyone leaves for like six weeks. All the rich people do anyway. Rich they, people, yeah. They head off to the Hamptons. <laughs> <laughs> people from the Queen's ghetto don't like escape off to the Hamptons. It's true. But I think most people try and get out because it's just it's just really hot and smelly and just, yeah, pretty horrible. But it's sunny at least though, isn't it? Well, I like, mean, I don't really know because I've, I've only been in New York in the summer like once or twice. But right. um, last time was like 05 in July and it was so, so hot and I couldn't, you know, it was just really hot and there's no air. You're just basically running from air conditioned building to air conditioned building. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure all the air conditioning makes the city even hotter because, of course, it blasts out hot air, it right? It probably does. It blasts the hot <laughs> air onto the street, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, but the last sort of month or so here has been on and off so really That hot. is so British, though, to hate the weather wherever you go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's too hot. It's too hot. Well, I'm really bad at, at extreme temperatures anyway. I just can't handle them at all. You want every day to just be overcast. I just want every day to be nice breeze. and mild. <laughs> Um, what does that even mean? I don't know. You know, just just mild. 20 degrees? I think 20 degrees. I don't know. I've got no idea about, like, I can't, I have, I can't picture any temperature. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, because I think you're probably like, a bit like me in that. If someone says to me that, you know, the, your body is 30 degrees or something, I go, that, that sounds hot, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a third of the way to boiling. Yeah. Isn't it 36? I don't know, is it? That sounds really hot to me, though. I've got absolutely no idea. It's not that hot, is it? And pe- but then how hot is a how hot is like a bath? Bath is like thirty degrees, I think. Is a bath warmer than your body or or cooler? I don't know. I don't think. I don't know. We're well in on ignorance corner now. I know. It's for these things you take for granted. You're just like, oh yeah, you know, you get in a bath. It's either too hot or it's not, right? <laughs> you don't actually know whether it's technically hotter or colder than your body. Yeah, I think it has to be hotter in the water than in the air, because like twenty degrees water, it feels really cold. Right. So should we do this thing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is what people tune in for, Seb. No one ever says about the content of the show. Yeah. They're just like, oh, I like, I love the banter you guys do. Really? Yeah. I thought they just liked it when things went wrong. I want the listeners to know what keeps you awake at night, Seb, this thing about <laughs> the, the hashtag. <laughs> yes. Well, should we start properly? <laughs> Welcome to episode 10. <laughs> <laughs> the creative coding yeah, so, podcast. So, so why do you want to? Why do you want to change the hashtag of the podcast? Why would you even think about that? Sam, we better do a good intro first. Well, that was the intro, wasn't it? Yeah. This is gold, Seb. Gold. This is just turning into shambles. This podcast, I swear. <laughs> Right, okay, we're going to get... Let's rock it back on track, then. Let's rock it back on, tra- on Honestly, track. Honestly, people love this stuff. So not everyone is so obsessed with efficiency as you are. <laughs> well, I'm like a robot or something. You are, yeah. <laughs> yes, right, welcome to episode 10 of the Creative Coding Podcast. Boom! 10 with, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> with me, live from New York City, Seb Lee Delisle. And me, uh, Undead from Cornwall, Ian Lobb. <laughs> Yes, so we were thinking about a new a new um, hashtag for the Twitters, just because I think, well, it was my idea, really, just because... I wasn't thinking about it at all, Ian I just want to make that very cool. <laughs> We've been arguing about it, but um, I think creative coding is a bit long. I think hashtags should be, like, less than eight characters. And also, I think on the show, we should encourage people to tweet, because I think probably a lot of people maybe just signed up to this podcast on iTunes and don't necessarily follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm Seb underscore L. Y on Twitter, by the way, in case anyone wants to follow yeah, me. And I'm um, at 
Ian Lobb, which is I-A-I-N-L-O-B-B. Altogether, far too many vowels for one name, I'm sure. Mm, it is a lot, of, <laughs> it's a lot of vowels. It's a lot of vowels altogether. It's like your yeah, name it's is... Yeah, mashed together. Your name is like... No one can spell it. When I say that it's Ian and it's spelled with two I's, they go I-I-A-N. Your first name is like 75% vowels. Mm. That's crazy. I know. Ian is such a horrible name as well. You don't like your name? Sorry, Mum. It's not that I don't like my name. It's just that I don't like the name Ian. <laughs> that is your which name? Is, which I think is something different. I don't get when, it. it. You don't like your, well, basically, you like when, your name, when characters, but you don't like the name when, Ian. Yeah, when characters on TV and stuff are called Ian, they're normally absolute spods. Or the only like, one you I know. can think of is Ian Beale. Are there others? Ian Beale, yeah, exactly. From, I was from, watching from a, London um, soap opera EastEnders for our, our international audience. Yeah, everyone knows who Ian Beale is. I don't think so. No. <laughs> I'm English and I, bet I only know because... You know, I maybe watched EastEnders the first time it was on 20 years ago. <laughs> no, I mean, Ian is fine, but it's just like, it's in a category of names with like Alan, uh, Keith, which are like slightly boring names. What, what name would you prefer? Um, like an awesome sounding name, like Max Power or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Names are a weird thing. But yes, so the hashtag, I was thinking something shorter. I wanted to use CC pod. What about code pod? Because that's got the word code in it. Yeah, code pod is all right. Although, but, but one thing about creative coding is that other people use that hashtag for other things, which yeah. is and good for us because then think, we catch more passing trade, right? I think there's a, a sort of institution, isn't there, called creative coding. Anyway, this is, this is too meta. Let's get on with the, the show itself. Yeah, but we should say what the new hashtag is, really, so people can tweet it. But we don't it. know. Should we go code pod? Why, why don't you let us know what you think? For We'll get the audience to decide. Crowdsource it. Yeah, that's it. a good idea. Yeah, let's crowdsource the hashtag. What do you think? Let us know. Cool. We had some feedback on the last episode that I almost missed because it was oh, comments yeah, was on that? the blog a few weeks after we recorded it. And what was the feedback? Um, someone, it was Andy Tolbert. He, it was, this was in response to the, my interview with Robert. And right. uh, he was saying that he also did art maths, art and maths for A levels, and he also got a D in art because he did it with a computer, just Isn't like that me. Isn't funny? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, Mark Burville, uh, what's he saying? Oh, he was talking about D paint as well on the Amiga, and he says we should get Jeff Minter on. Isn't he's like a famous Amiga coder? I think. Is he like Llamatron and all that stuff? That sounds right. Yes, of course, Llamasoft. Matthew Fab was saying a while ago that um, he had a couple of good po- comments actually on episode eight. Yeah. One was um, Angry Birds on the Chrome Store. Yeah. And he basically was talking about the Mighty Eagle power-up, which on the iPhone game, it lets you um, kind of skip a level. Yeah. And you have to pay for it. I think it's, I don't know, it's like a dollar each time. I don't know how much it is, but... I see. You kind of pay to skip a level. But obviously, if you can just put some JavaScript into your address bar that does the same thing... They're going to lose some money. It would kind of screw up that business model a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Have you been to any conferences since we did the last podcast or not? Um... Well, in fact, I think we spoke about this before, but I meant to talk about some stuff that happened at FITC. Um, mm. Specifically, well, because I've done a few workshops recently. Um, at FITC, I did um, Theo Watson's Open Frameworks workshop. 
that was really good fun. And it was really nice getting to, I got to hang out with Theo a bit as well. And, and uh, it was just nice to hear about his background and his work and how he got involved in open frameworks. I've done quite a bit of open frameworks now, so it was kind of, um, you know, basic. It was kind of for starters for people who are just starting open frameworks but still just it's always good to see how the experts do it you know yeah and um and also it's nice to hear about some of the background and it was good to see the work he's been doing um with his wife emily any takeaways that you can kind of pass on it was kind of a while ago so (laughs) 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 i guess the, the the thing that struck me was that we were using open frameworks version 006 And in my project, I'd been using 007, which is like hasn't officially been released yet and is still quite alpha. Um, But I was still surprised at some of the things in 06 that were missing, some fairly basic things, and I can't remember what they were. (laughs) Some things, I think it might have been a few things like maybe even something as simple as being able to set the colour with HSB, but I'm probably... um, it was a while ago, so I've probably completely forgotten. Um, oh, this is going to be a really interesting podcast, isn't it? Um, but I also wanted to briefly mention that I did J.R. Thorpe's processing workshop as well. When I got to New York, he's a really... Well, you know, he was on our, our podcast, yep. right? Episode three, wasn't it? So it was another great, uh, a great workshop too. Just, again, good to see how experts do processing you know do something that they really know well uh, and again I, I sort of knew a lot of processing and I didn't learn that much but just good to see how he works and there were some really inspiring examples one of which I've kind of reversioned into JavaScript and I haven't officially integrated into my training yet but I probably will cool so my my workshops have been going all right as well did one a few weeks ago um and Jesse Freeman was on that workshop so that was you know Jesse yeah, he's like the code bum or whatever. Yeah, he's not. He's him? not the code bum anymore, is he? He's just Jesse Freeman. Uh, yeah, he seemed to. He seemed to like it though. There's two Jessies, aren't there? And I get them confused. Uh, yeah. Who's the other one? Jester XL on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> who's that? Jesse, someone else. They're both slightly mental, but in different ways. They are both. <laughs> they are the very outspoken people, aren't they? Um. And then I, I had my uh, my last course this week on Thursday or Friday, and I met Daniel Schiffman last week too, and he came to my course. So that was really cool. He did some really beautiful particle stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he took some of my code and just made it really awesome. But he was a cool guy. We just got to hang out last week. We had, we had a coffee on Washington Square and uh, just talked about everything really from his work at the ITP. You know, it's like a part of, NYU but it's like it seems to be that the IT the name ITP just keeps coming up all the time recently um you know it's where I think Zach Lieberman who's the main open frameworks guy I think he he teaches there and I think Theo came through there um and Daniel is pretty is very very well known on the processing circuit he did the connect plugin for processing and also the the processing book the orange one that everyone gets and he's also self-funding and self-publishing his new book which is a bit of a success on kickstarter at the moment i think he's raised thirty thousand dollars so he's a super nice guy everyone loves him and it's easy to see why because he's a really you know just really generous and really uh shares a lot of his stuff and um yeah, just and also just like super friendly. Mm. Do you remember what was the name of his book? The beginner's one or the new one? The one he's doing on Kickstarter. I think it's called The Nature of Code. He told me that apparently every course 
at ITP needs a fancy title. And so that's like the title of his course that he's been teaching for a few years. And he's always said that he's going to put it in a book. And so the Kickstarter thing just finally gave him the, the kick to do that. Sure. Yeah, that's something we should talk about, actually, is because we, we've been mulling over like different ways that we could do a book and stuff, haven't we? Mm. Or e-books, whether together or separately. Yeah. And I still haven't really come to any conclusion about what's the best way to go. Well, sure. What I did do is I wrote a blog post, which was kind of a list of like what I would like to see in a book about flash games yeah and i just covered loads and loads of stuff and it's just like yes that would be an awesome book but it would also take so long to write it because it's just such a lot of stuff it i having looked through your list of contents there were some pretty advanced subjects there like some of those are almost a book in themselves <laughs> yeah but that's not to say that you couldn't cover them in, in a chapter yeah, I mean, but you, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't be able to go into the same level of detail. But yeah, I mean, I, I personally don't think you need to know why everything you do works. Like, if someone gives me an equation and says, like, oh, yeah, this function is like will tell you if a point intersects with a polygon. Yeah, I don't really need to look at the guts of that. I don't care. No, I think you're right. And so, but but what every what pretty much every book I see does is they try and explain every single thing. I do think that there are some basic things though that you do need to really understand. Otherwise, you're always going to be making a game that is similar to someone else's. And I guess the things that I'm talking about here are, you know, um, like simple physics and simple collision detection and just the sort of the the concept of changing how things feel with code. You know, the, that responsiveness, mm. I, I think, is mm-hmm. really good to properly understand or have at least a few little tips and tricks in your tool belt that you really do understand in order to, to customise it. I mean, sure, if you want to just find out if a point is in a triangle, sure, pull out the equation out of a book. That's not a problem. But there are some other problems, some other trig things. Like, I remember once I made... Um, I made like a puzzle bubble type game, you know, Buster Move. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there was some pretty tricky math stuff in that. And if I hadn't known a bit about trigonometry and how to tell how far circles are apart and how to do predictive collision detection, then I wouldn't have been able to solve those problems. I mean, sure, if someone had just said, here's how you do collision detection between two circles, here's the equation, then that would have been cool. But there were still yeah. some sort of logical things that I needed to work out. Between two circles, that's like one line of code right so. yeah yeah it's super easy but it's not so easy to figure out where a circle's going to go before you fire it depending on the angle of the circle you know in this particular game it's called jam busters for the bbc did you ever play that game no probably my favorite game that i ever made actually okay cool um but i needed to be able to show the player where his in in this version of the game it was pies rather than you know whatever bubbles i guess they are in buster <laughs> move um but I needed to be able to show the player where the, the pie would end up. So I had to figure mm-hmm. out where it would end up before I actually fired it. Um, but it wasn't so much that was that was the trick. There was, I mean, it was AS2, so it needed to be super optimised. So I could only do, like, collision detection with the pies that were at the bottom of the row of pies. I couldn't do it with all right. the pies. Um, plus there were also weird things back in Flash in those days where I couldn't actually update that many pies all in one go. I had to be clever about how I animated it. But probably mm-hmm. the the trickiest bit was figuring out the data structure for the pies because if you think about a game like that, when the pies aren't being held on with any other pies, you know, they're sort of free and they need to fall down. Mm. So there's this yeah. data structure of how the pies are, are stored, that pie data, and how sure. they're connected to each other so I can iterate 
navigate through them and figure out yeah. which ones. Well, I mean, it's just a down. it's just a hex grid, isn't it? Yeah. Which, I mean, which is a really good one to know how to do because it's not non-obvious. Mm. What I found with hex grids is that if you do them one way up, they're much it's much easier to think about than if you do them the other way up. Really? Yeah. If you do them so that the hexagon points upwards, mm. right? So there's a point on top instead of a flat bit. Yeah. That that's a lot simpler to understand in terms of just being a two D array. Yeah. Versus if you do them the other way around, because the other way around they kind of go up and down. Yeah. Uh, well, if they're, I see. Yeah. So if they're, yeah, if they're flat on top, then it's like blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's much more. It's really <laughs> so confusing. And you, um, you forget which your rows are and stuff. Yeah, I think mine were in rows. I can't remember now. But I didn't even, I didn't use a 2D array at all. I actually had a kind of linked, I took a linked list approach where every pie had, instead of like a normal linked list where you'll normally only have a pointer to the next item in the list and maybe the previous mm-hmm. item in the list, I had a yeah. pie object that had a pointer to every pie that it was connected to on each side. Yeah, that would work as well. Yeah, I mean, that's how you do like um, pathfinding things yeah. like that so that you've got a node and each node can be connected to however many other nodes yeah and I think yeah. I actually ended up with a, a, a fairly well it was an algorithm I remember being quite pleased with at the time that um, it was a recursive sure. algorithm that could go through and track which sure. guys it had tested and yeah it was kind of fun but that was many years ago now god I don't know how many probably five or six yeah. years ago you, I mean the thing that I struggle with in terms of doing like writing a book would be who the audience is yeah because people have said to me about some of it oh that's a beginner doesn't need to know that stuff or that's not really a beginner topic and it's like okay well maybe the book's not for beginners then yeah and then the people are like well if you, people who aren't really beginners who are more experienced know how to do this stuff already or they're going to actually actively disagree with the way you implement certain things yeah i think you're right because they're already in a certain way of doing it they're going to actively like look for the reasons that you're wrong i actually ran a, a flash games workshop a couple of years ago hmm. and I concentrated on just showing all the basics about making a game with and um, perhaps with a bit of inspiration about where to go next um, and I, th- I still think that's missing I mean clearly there are a lot of experienced flash game makers right but I still think that there is a, a, a lack of real entry level examples that are really good you know, the really good mm. solid examples yeah and I think if they're kind of simple enough even well what I, I hope to, to achieve is that even if you've made games before it should still be interesting to see how someone else does it right it depends really i think there's a lack of books and and resources for people to just totally get started in a really good solid way so my course had you know how to make um a game loop how to have arrays of objects simple collision detection algorithms and just sort of managing that sort of basic framework and then we looked at at physics the physics of platform games um sort of a lunar lander type physics uh, with a bit more complicated collision detection and just kind of took it from there really but and one part of it which was pretty boring (laughs) was that we also looked at making a simple kind of state-based framework 
but it was so so simple mm-hmm. it was just not much more complicated than how you used to just put different game states on a different frame on flash it was like the action script equivalent of that and actually once i sort of kind of once i got that stripped down to its minimum i felt a lot better about making that sort of framework from then on so mm. i kind of hope that although it was pretty simplistic and it was probably targeted at people who hadn't done much game stuff for i kind of still like to think that if you had done a lot of programming or at least a bit of game stuff that you might have been interested to see my approach sure i mean what people have suggested that i might do instead is of doing like a whole book would be just make one game example and like polish up the code and comment it really well and write a little pdf to go with it kind of explaining how it all works and then just sell that kind yeah. of off my website as a I'd... kind of downloadable as an example game really as which is a kind of like like you say there are, it's so rarely that you see a simple game just done correctly yeah and then something that has all the basic bits that you can build on to to make your own game or whatever by spinning it off what sort of game would you choose something really generic like a kind of gauntlet or something i guess which covers you know it's got enemies bullets controlling the character you know some kind of level yeah i think that would be cool but then the other thing is you see is like people were like well why you know why do you want to do this because it's like you know it's not something that really you can make a huge amount of money on you know shouldn't people suggested to me shouldn't i wouldn't i be better just spending my time making games which is probably true so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a thing you know isn't it it's like w- once you get into this stuff it's like does it end up being like a... I think it's really important to to you know if you want to do something you've got to prove that you can do it right and so if you're famous for having done it then then you're going to get you know that profile is going to help you whether you want to do more programming work or whether you want to sell your own games or whether you want to do more speaking or whatever that pro- profile is going to really help um, so by doing know, a book or something yeah and I think actually those shorter books are easier to manage in a lot a lot of ways right and I think it would still be mm. a very interesting book I reckon you could sell it for like $20 right and sure. or even more probably 20 to $40 and if you sold a thousand that's kind of not a bad wage someone bought a game from Active Den you know Active Den yeah where you can buy like FLAs and stuff yeah they bought the source of a game from Active Den for like $12 and yeah. then sold it on Flash Game License for like $2,000 <laughs> <laughs> It's quite funny. But that's different, you see. I mean, I think Active Den are trying to sell things, right? They just sell. I I think they might have started a video tutorial site now as well, but is that Active Tutes? I think that's the same. But I see a middle ground here of a thing which is like code. It's selling code, but for the purpose of education. Yeah. But you could also use it to build on, to build your own things. Yeah, I think that would be great. I think you should do it. What are you unsure about? I might just do an open source project and open source a load of stuff and do that instead. I honestly don't know. I'm too confused. I think you've got two choices, right? Either you do it for free and make it all open source, and that way you'll benefit from having a greater profile because everyone will share it and talk about it, and that will draw people in to you and your stuff. If otherwise, you could, um, you know, write it as an ebook. I reckon you could probably get published from O'Reilly if you wanted, or you could probably self-publish. And you'd only need to sell it for like ten or twenty dollars and sell a, a thousand or two thousand copies, and it would probably be it would probably make more money than your your game when you put it on the on your flash games license i don't know man i'm aiming more higher with the games eventually but yeah i don't know i mean it's like it's it's a really niche thing though isn't it ultimately like how many people are there out there who actually make flash games and actually want a book 
or a thing. I don't know. I don't know. And would I enjoy it? Would it just become something that bores me? Because when I mean, another yeah. thing is when we originally talked about this, you know, I thought it'd be really cool to do something which was shows you how to do stuff in JavaScript and in Flash. So mm. it's like a, a cross development book. But then you kind of came around to thinking that wasn't such a great idea. Um, well, I think I think reversioning a book is probably better. You know, just because people aren't necessarily going to want to learn both at the same time. You know, I think sure. the vast majority yeah. of people are going to be wanting to make a Flash game or the, or or a JavaScript game, but not both at the same time. Um, mm. I mean, I guess I did. You know, I I ran these Flash games workshops, and I always got really good feedback but it got to the point where it was really hard to sell them i don't know why maybe now with molehill and the regenerated interest in flash games and adobe having finally realized that flash is used for games maybe it's worth me trying to market that again now seeing what happens but Mm. i can tell you something i'm definitely doing which is converting my all of my code into javascript and doing a javascript games workshop (laughs) hopefully oh that'd be maybe by the end of the year or, or early next year kind of alongside the creative js courses that i'm currently doing yeah no that's a great idea yeah you know because i've got all that stuff already it would would convert really easily sorry if the interest in your courses dropped off Mm. for flash games i think maybe that's something to do with the way a shift in the industry of who makes flash games from it being as far as i can tell it agency developers don't seem to make them so much anymore as they used to yeah and they're more made by kind of specialist development companies game development companies now i might be wrong in that that's just the impression i've got though you know kind of five or six years ago when i started plug in and i made that decision that i was going to be marketing myself as a flash games maker i think at the time there was a, a huge demand it was like every single client wanted a flash game on their website whether it was appropriate or not just everyone wanted one and most of the time it wasn't appropriate whereas nowadays everyone wants an iphone app so i think whether that's appropriate or not they don't care it's just that thing that they must have and i'm not sure that these days the must have thing is a flash game no i think what's happened to flash games is it actually a really good thing which is that it isn't just a kind of box that people tick on a website now where it's like <laughs> you know you have your yeah, contact form whatever a news page and a flash game yeah it's more like flash games are made more for entertainment purposes purely yeah and they have more they have different business models now and they're generally made by people who are doing mostly that thing something i'm i'd be interested in your take on because i feel i'm a little bit sort of out of that scene now but are there big corporations still making flash games for their websites are you seeing um, much of that anymore on the sort do you of... mean you mean like like a volkswagen or whatever would they yeah. have a flash game on their website not so much, but you do still see it. But yeah, you don't. It's not so much, I guess. Yeah, and you know, and I, I, I used to work for Curb before I set up Plugin, and um, at the time they were doing brilliant work with viral marketing and just getting millions and millions and millions of people to come to these games, and it would all be that stuff, you know, send to a friend and all that, and everyone would email yeah. it to all their friends. And I guess, well, I, I guess that's been taken over by Facebook, right? I mean, the, that, um, there must be a lot of Facebook games, surely. Do you know about that stuff? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's loads of Facebook games, but there's also portals as well where, you know, yeah. that are devoted to Flash games. And so the thing, the, I think the reason that viral games worked so well back in the day was that they weren't competing with any other online games, really. There wasn't, yeah. you know, most of the games that you could go to in your browser were either, you know, kind of advert games or viral games, or they were very basic things made by, like, 
14-year-olds. Mm. So it was a pretty easy market back then. It was pretty easy to like get stuff going. Whereas now there's obviously way more competition from really well-produced Flash games yeah. on portals. So yeah, it's a different world now, really. One, one of the things that I'm interested in is that with the molehill stuff, it's going to be possible to make like really seriously good quality games, right? Well, it already is. But I mean, like the sort of 3D kind of games that you'd see on the PS2, I suppose. Well, I mean, it's be- it should be better than PS2 because it's, it's HD graphics. Yeah, it's sure. more like Xbox 360, really, because if you think about it, the hardware on an Xbox 360 is very old now. Yeah. So. Sure. So, but then, of course, making those games are, are going to be really expensive. And I'm just wondering if there's going to be the, the return on, on those things to make it warrant it. Well, I mean, you know, Facebook Flash games make a huge amount of money. Yeah, really? I don't know much about that stuff. Well, they make billions of dollars, you know, like Zynga and the other kind of Playfish and the other top top ones, are, you know, they're 100 million stroke billion dollar businesses. Yeah, don't so, do you think that's going to happen again, though? Because I sort of have a feeling like Farmville did its thing, went mental, and now everyone's investing in games. But I'm not sure that, and, and you'll know better than me, but it doesn't seem to me like there's been anything as big as Farmville. Or if there are, then I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen again. It sort of feels like that thing happened and now something else is going to happen. Mm. I think the thing with Farmville is that it they opened up a completely new market for games yeah. who weren't people who were already playing a lot of games. Mm. So, you know, they've, and, and that's why they're valued so high is that, you know, they found a completely new market and they expanded the, the game playing audience and specifically the people who will pay to play games, yeah. I guess. But that said, yeah, I mean, it probably won't happen in the same way again and maybe it is a bit of a bubble. I think it'd be but, but I mean, the other thing is that the, the thing about something like Farmville as well is that it's a very basic 2D game which is yeah. you know which you can already do in Flash easily yeah. so Molehill isn't going to be those kinds of games Yeah. so you know games that you make with stage 3D we should call it now I think Molehill yeah that's right um you know, they're going to be more like first-person shooters and things like that, which actually have a smaller, much smaller potential audience mm. than something like Farmville. So, in a way, it's not going to open up the market that massively because, I mean, these games are so expensive to produce, right? Yeah. And the other thing is they're so reliant on marketing. So, like, the, the, again, if you take a game like Call of Duty or whatever, the marketing budget is bigger than the cost of production, which is already huge. So, so are they going to be able? To, is there going to be a killer app? I mean, I guess that's what I'm curious to know, is that is is there going to be a killer app that makes it really... Essential? I highly doubt that Molehill will have one killer app. No, really? I don't think so. I mean, it might do, though. I don't know. I guess the thing with the thing with killer apps is that they're almost impossible to predict. Sure. Like, who could have predicted YouTube would mean that the Flash sure. player became so popular? Yeah, yeah. Or, like, Chat Roulette, you know, yeah. years after Flash had video... Yeah. Uh, you, you know, video conferencing or whatever, someone suddenly has a huge hit with something that you could have done five years ago yeah i think it's cool technology but i'm yeah. I'm more excited about it being used through via unity 3d i think me too but only because i think that making a 3d game without unity is going to be hugely expensive mm. and unity enables people to make good th- like look at the work that um Carlos is doing and his hello, uh, it's hello enjoy isn't it yeah. I, just got, I just got really like I went blank there for a minute but the work <laughs> that he does pretty much on his own with a couple of extra artists at times you know in, in four to, to eight weeks he'll make a full 3D game you know mm. by himself and that's uh, sure. all because of Unity yeah yeah I mean I just um, 
I got back into Away 3D a bit because I reviewed yeah. the Away 3D 3.6 Essentials book. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And, yeah, so that was cool. I mean, that is a great technology. And compared to, you know, what you could do in Paper Vision, like, they have yeah. done a massive amount of work. Yeah, sure. But the thing that you would still worry about would be like the asset pipeline yeah really like you know creating making sure that your 3d models come in correctly that they've got their animation and everything working yeah and that's always going to be the hardest thing isn't it and that's the same for webgl and 3.js as well it's identical yeah all of that sort yeah. of fiddly manual labor that mm. the unity just takes care of so brilliantly yeah yeah and while we're on the subject of um OpenGL, do you want to talk about that uh, that security report? Yeah, so just been a lot of talk lately about about WebGL security. It seems that there is a little bit of a security hole in it, and that in some circumstances you'd be able to read other things that are going to the graphics card, including you know other apps with potentially private documents on. Yeah, I mean the way I understood it was that you could create a Turing complete kind of programs on the GPU. Really? Yeah. <laughs> So you could actually basically take over the GPU and use it to run your own processes. Which <laughs> <laughs> is quite least scary. It's the prospect. We'll link to the we'll link to the document. Yeah, right, I see. And read it. But yeah, quite a scary prospect. So and you were wondering about whether that um you know, whether molehill's gonna have the same problems mm. and apparently it isn't because it's designed with those kind of concerns in mind. Yeah. Which is what you would expect really. Yeah, it's what you'd expect. But you'd expect it for WebGL as well, you know, if it's Yeah, like... it's true. I mean I th- I'm sure it's only a temporary problem, right? Sure. I mean I think the thing with with not just um, browsers, but you know, the Flash plugin and browsers have always had a string of security issues, right? Right yeah. since the very beginning, every single browser, every single plugin. I mean, especially Flash, right? Flash is um, not especially Flash. Internet well, Explorer, you could say especially IE yeah, or especially. Yeah, possibly. You know. I mean, wasn't I'm not... there? I mean, I remember like in two thousand and one, there was like a virus in a JPEG or something. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess the point is that everything that lives in the browser, including the browser itself, is going to be open security flaws, I guess. The issue yeah. is how quickly those can be filled up, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems like Chrome, and again, I'm, I'm massively into ignorance corner here, but Chrome seems to be able to update itself at, at will, you know, yeah. <laughs> including the Flash yeah. player. So I yes. think that, that those things are starting to happen is really mm. important. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of security holes in, in the new Flash player, whether it's to do with um, Stage 3D or not. <laughs> you know, there just always is. Yeah, I don't think it's as bad as you make out, to be honest. But I don't think it's that bad. But then I'm not really a security expert at no. all. But I did read an article recently that said that it was from a security, like one of these really scary hacker guys. And, and sure. they, they said, well, what, what should you do if you don't want to get hacked? And he was like, use this one browser, I think it might have been Chrome, and don't install Flash. I'll dig out the link and stick it in the links we were going to talk about stencils oh yeah yeah i haven't seen it at all so you're going to have to explain it yeah okay cool well stencil spelt s-t-e-n-c-y-l is a tool which lets you make flash games and it's similar to the kind of things we talked about you know adobe possibly doing at some point but probably but never will which is <laughs> make it's a kind of game specific adi uh, yeah ide for making flash games uh-huh. where you've got a kind of integrated thing where you can bring in your assets set up like animation loops it's got a level editor where you can position everything it's got a scripting environment where you kind of create the logic and it's all um 
like component based and behavior based mm. and it was one thing that's interesting about it is that it uses um you don't actually write code you it's got like a visual code logic thing like um which is based on like that mit project there's a visual code project it's called either scratch or oh yeah scratch yes so it's based on scratch but it makes flash games Yes, well, just the coding, just the coding part of it seems to be based on Scratch, basically, which is where you don't type code. It's all done with like drop-down menus and weird color-coded block Lego blocks. Mm. But it's quite cool. So if you've never done like any coding, it's, I guess it makes it a bit easier. It's kind of hard um, to imagine what that would be like without seeing it. Yeah, you have to just download it after the show. And <laughs> play. But um, yeah, I mean, it's basically you know, it's got a code thing, it's got a level editor, it's got the behaviors thing. You know, you, there's a it's built so that you can kind of collaborate with other people on projects yeah. so you can share the same project and it's all kind of stored in the cloud I guess and you know works like Google Docs where your projects are all shared and it really surprised me like it really seems to be a well thought out pro- product project stroke project stroke product and is it it's a flash app itself no it's like built in Java or, or I think it's a native in fact yeah it's native I'm, I'm pretty sure it's native and is it Java. just on the it's on PC and Mac or yeah PC and Mac and so you download the app and then you can make flash games with it. It yeah, just and you spits can out a Swift. It'll spit out a Swift or you can publish it straight to their website. But yeah, if you want to like sell your game, it'll spit out a Swift that you can then sell on Flash Game License or put on Congregate or wherever. That sounds so insane. Is, it's is pretty it, cool, yeah. It's a paid for app. No, it's free. So how do they make their money? I think they're going to do like a like a component store type thing. Okay. Whether they'll make any money or not, I actually don't know. <laughs> what sort of games can it make? 2D games so any 2d game yeah top down to do. or side on it's like box box 2d physics so it's got really nice physics yeah one thing about box 2d platform games though is that they tend to be a bit like slightly sluggish mm. well it's, it's not quite i mean unless you're doing like sonic or something like that i find that it's uh, a little bit too comprehensive for platform game physics which you know i mean even if you were doing it i think it'd be a disaster for doing something like sonic really yeah because sonic's movement is so weird it's like he yeah. accelerates and decelerates so fast and sure. etc yeah i guess it might get really out of control yeah Probably exactly what's good about using box 2d for platform games is that the kind of amount of interaction you can have with the world yeah you know you can create like boxes floating crates and things that you can jump on and barrels that you can roll around and you know yeah mm-hmm. you can make quite interesting things yeah but it does get a bit fiddly and yeah it never quite feels right it never feels like arcadey sure so worth checking out yeah, worth de- checking out definitely yeah maybe you know if you can already program a game from scratch maybe yeah. it's not worth worrying about but yeah you know for so maybe for artists beginner or an artist yeah who yeah. just wants to make games and you know and he knows a bit of code stuff yeah Anything else? I'm going to the I.O. Festival next week. Cool. That's pretty exciting. There's going to be lots of very cool people there. I should probably try and snag a couple of interviews, actually. By all means. You know, all the processing guys are going to be there. All the Open Frameworks guys will be there. Lots of other incredibly interesting people. So it'd be stupid not to get a few um, few of them on tape or on whatever this we call it now. What do we call it? Uh, on... You can't even say disc anymore. can't even say disc. On... Me, on... On... The record. Format. <laughs> even that doesn't make sense. Recorded, you could just say. I'll just, yeah, I'll get them on my magic recording device. <laughs> I think that's pretty safe. And then after that, I'm doing um, 
I'm back in New York for a week and then I'm in Kansas City for a week for um, the developer, the designer developer workflow conference, D2W. Oh, cool. I've read about that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Are you speaking at that? Or yeah, I'm attending. speaking and I'm running another fully sold out creative JavaScript workshop. Oh, cool. What's your session going to be at, uh, for the main conference? Um, I haven't entirely worked it out yet, but I'm thinking <laughs> it's going to be... Um, uh, I'm probably going to do sort of like a very informal follow-up to what the flux, you know, right. so still kind of covering the, the future of Flash and, but more, but also looking at what, you know, what is realistically possible now with alternative technologies and what isn't. Right. And maybe okay. where it's going. Could be quite fun. Cool. Yeah. I was just going to wing it. Cool. I did, um, I did probably my best received talk like ever the other day. Really? Where was that? Yeah. Uh, a local conference at, um, Digpen conference in Cornwall. Digpen. Yeah, and it was basically like um, it was like kind of thirty like kind of career lessons that I've learned. Oh yeah. And it's a kind of like a Hoss Gifford type talk, basically. Mm you know where it's like nugget nuggetoids of wisdom because it's only like a 10 minute talk can we turn that into a creative coding podcast episode um i don't know really i mean you Maybe. could do an informalized version right yeah yeah it might be good definitely and yeah. what sort of what sort of nuggets of wisdom did you impart things like um don't let americans pay you by check <laughs> That was one of them. <laughs> Some of them were quite are quite cynical and uh, I guess that's well. that's not because you don't trust Americans. It's more because no, it costs because a lot ha- and takes ages it, to clear. It, it's, it doesn't actually cost that much, but it just it takes six to eight weeks to clear. Plus, they've got yeah. to post the thing across the Atlantic. PayPal every time. Yeah. So yeah, we could try and do turn that into a podcast, I guess, yeah. and you could chip in with your experiences yeah, on, the, on the same subject. That sounds like a I'm fun not sure. One, yeah. Could we get through thirty in an hour? Yeah. All right. Some good. of them are really short. All right. Good. Yeah. Let's. That sounds fun. Let's cool. That. Okay. Cool. That'll be a fun one. Yeah. Definitely. Um. What else? Oh, and then after Kansas City, I'm coming home. Cool. Are you? Back to Brighton. So you're leaving New York when this week? Um. Well, I'm in America for uh, well till sort of July the twentieth, and two right. weeks of that. Well, one week will be in Minneapolis, and one week will be in Kansas City, and the rest of the time I'll be in New York. Right. Has it flown by? Um. It does seem like quite a while, actually. Yeah. I'm sort of ready to come home. Oh really? You're not yeah. ready to settle down in New York? No. I mean, I think. I think if we had a nicer apartment it might be different we're kind of settling in we're getting used to the food <laughs> the food right. is awesome i yeah, love the food how is nice in your... there's a lot of stuff that i really love like mm-hmm. i get we get our laundry done like right and they they find it really weird that we bring the laundry to them they're like no we'll come and pick it up it's like oh okay well, we'll bring it to them anyway right. but when you get it back like you get it back in a few hours and it's yeah. all it's stacked and folded in the neatest right. pile ever and, and it is it like, like is it more affordable to have your laundry done yeah it's like there. you know it's like five quid oh really yeah because I hate going to the laundrette yeah I do as and well and I never do service wash because it's like too expensive I always do service washes at home because I'm too lazy yeah well I mean it's just like yeah I mean if you don't it's just so boring isn't it but and I love the frozen yogurt here mm. I'm going to miss that. Yeah. I'm going to miss a lot of stuff. New York pizzas are good. The portion sizes. Diners. I mean, the thing that that England misses, sadly, is diners. There's only about four diners in the whole country. Yeah, but also in New York, just the fact that because food places there's so many food places open all night in fact loads of things are open all night like the apple store mm. near um <laughs> up, up near central park is open right. 24 hours a day <laughs> why would you need that i don't know i was talking to stacy mulcahy you know the bitch who codes 
yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> she just... Um, Don't call her that. That's a horrible thing to no, say. No, no, that's her Twitter ID. <laughs> no, that's just me. Hasn't she just she, moved to New York? She just moved to New York. She's working at Big Spaceship, and she's my neighbour at the moment, oh, which cool. is just brilliant. Uh, we, we hung out last week quite a bit. And what was I saying about her? Oh, yeah, I was saying to her that we should, like, book a genius bar appointment at the most unsocial time (laughs) ever. Like, we were trying to think what would be the weirdest time, and I think we worked it out to be, like, 4 o'clock, 4 a.m. Yeah. I think think half past four is the true middle of the night. It's like when you get to five, it's kind of like the next day, isn't it? So I was thinking maybe four or five. Yeah, so we'll go along with our max and go, it's broken. (laughs) And see what kind of service we get. But yeah, because everything's open all night, I think it kind of changes how your mind works in terms of food. Like Mm. after you've been working, you'll just go for drinks and socialise or whatever and just sort of forget about food. And then just get something at the diner. Get something later. Yeah, Yeah. if you do that in London, you come out of the pub and everything's shut. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you're starving, then you have to eat a kebab on the way home. Yeah, exactly. Your options at that point are kebabs. (laughs) But um, here you have a little bit more of an option. Um, Yeah. like the diners uh, there's a a diner at the end of our road and it's like whenever we come home from a night out whether it's 11 o'clock or 12 or 1am there's it's always loads of people in there yeah it's pretty how do um how do new yorkers get up in the morning then i have no idea i have because they have this real 24-hour culture i have real trouble getting up in the morning here how do you get up i don't know just loads of coffee i guess coffee yeah probably the free refills of coffee no idea but the other thing is that um you know you couldn't bring that culture to like for example the uk because we drink too much alcohol so you know a diner would be a horrible place if it was full <laughs> yes. of drunken englishmen it would i can't imagine anything no, worse at you know, four in the morning something that i really don't miss about england is all the drunk people i mean sure there are sometimes drunk people but it's not the same here it's idiotic i mean i'm drunk most nights but that's just in the privacy <laughs> of my own home with a bottle of merlot it's like you know it's a different thing to being a lager lout isn't it that's classy drunk that's different it is yeah I, exactly you're not drinking alka-pops every like thursday night no or log preloading with spirits and then going for uh, 10 pints of lager and a glass yeah, thing this is totally unrelated but it's quite cool in um madison avenue the other day they were filming men in black three. Oh but yeah for some reason it was in the 60s and they cleared the whole entire road about like six blocks and they only had 60s cars and a load of extras everywhere in nylon it was really cool cool so, yeah, when they do those shots, they, they, New York will are very accommodating, aren't they, to film crews? They seem to be, yeah, although I did read something recently in the Village Voice where they said that um, they'd kicked out Will Smith's massive Winnebago from Soho because <laughs> <laughs> it was taking up too much room. And so they augment, sure. made him hide it away. But it was like a massive, like, million-dollar luxury truck thing. Like, mm. yeah, it was even bigger than a normal Winnebago, I think. And they had another one for, like, the gym, you know? <laughs> sure. That kind of thing. But yeah, they seem to be pretty accommodating. But watching filming is incredibly boring. It's like watching paint dry. It's just no, nothing, yeah. nothing happens. It really doesn't. And you're like, oh, just stay a bit longer in case something happens and nothing does happen. And then, no, so nothing like watching a movie, sadly. No, not at all. So, sorry about that little diversion. I just thought it was quite That's interesting. That's right. It's a bit, it adds a bit of colour. Yeah, bit doesn't of, it? Of texture, yeah. My experiences you know, here. What's, in New what's York? radio supposed to be? It's like theatre of the mind, right? <laughs> so yeah, a bit scary if people are trying to see what we're seeing in our minds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you know. Get out of my head, audience. Yeah. Uh, I, I meant their minds, but yeah. I feel violated. Cool. 
on that weird I think note. That's, <laughs> is that all the news that's fit to print then or not? Uh, should we get... Should we t- we, is there any more technology? We haven't really talked about technology or coding very much. Um, is there any news that we should cover? The new Air came out, didn't it? A couple yeah. Of days ago. It's so, bo- it's so boring, it's boring though. <laughs> uh, oh, something quite interesting was... I saw this article. Oh, I've got one. Sorry, I've got one as well, which is Air, Air's drop Linux support. Oh, yeah. That's pretty Boom. good news, isn't it? Yeah, that's really bad news. That's so silly. Not great, is it? But anyway... I mean, if it's meant to be a cross-platform cross platform technology, can't yeah. really mix, surely. Well, apparently the problem is that they had zero growth or, like, flat growth, basically, which is, and then only, like, a 1% install base. But the thing with Air is Air is all wrong anyway because what Air should do is it should publish native applications. It shouldn't mm. need a runtime at all. It should just be the way that you make desktop apps with Flash yep. but not using any kind of player or plugin because... I mean, I tend to agree, but I'm not really sure how that would work, I have to say. I think that would be quite difficult to get to work. But Why? You know, I do think that Air's downfall, particularly on iOS, has been that it can't make native components. And it's definitely better than it was. Like, I checked out an app today which was made in the new air it was called Konku, sort of right. getting things done type app mm-hmm. and um you know it just sort of doesn't i mean it's not bad right it's a lot yeah. it's, it's masses better than previous ios packaged stuff yeah flash i mean and i think it's been done in flex but it even on an ipad 2 it just doesn't quite feel as good and look, i've got to go to the app store and because there's some reviews which i assume were probably because done with an ipad 1 but you know it's like the five reviews one very slow two stars two painfully slow three stars <laughs> three modal inefficient two stars four so as noted by others slow to the point of being painful two stars mm. five flawed when I rotate my app to landscape view the app becomes shorter from the top to bottom but when I rotate it back it remains shortened so you know and the splash screen takes ages so it's you know it's clearly got some issues this technology even though it's way better than it was sure well, maybe with Air two, maybe that wasn't made with Air two point seven though. So oh, it was because it was on the Adobe press release. Oh. It was one of the five <laughs> things that they're really selling as like a, a you know a, a, an Air two point what is it two point six two point seven two point seven yeah it's one oh, of their dear. list of of like six flagship apps. Yeah, I mean, I don't care about mobile stuff anyway. Yeah, I know. I think there, I think mobile is a huge distraction from the real business of making like things for computers. Yeah. Because the, you know, I, I almost meet, never meet anyone with a with a smartphone no? these days. Now that I don't live in London, yeah. Really? Yeah, I really don't. Even at technology things, like p- people don't always have smartphones. Hmm. I guess I guess everyone's experience is different, but I mean, surely that's going to change, right? I don't think uh, it's going to yeah. be possible to get a phone that isn't a smartphone pretty soon. Oh, it will be. But for like $10, I guess. For sure, but they'll be cheaper, yeah. Yeah. I just don't like the form factor. Like, it's not, like, in terms of making games and stuff, I definitely don't want to make games for smartphones. Yeah. I, just, I don't like, well, I'll tell you that one thing I do like the form factor of actually is the, the Sony NGP, which is Sony's new it's like the PSP2 basically yeah and it's got the most input devices of like any handheld thing ever (laughs) it's basically got it's like a PSP right except that it's got two thumbsticks instead of just one nub so it's got a thumbstick on each side so you can do like proper you know first person shooters and games that require two two sticks yeah it's got a touch screen it's got obviously the normal face buttons and a separate d-pad and then on the back it's got like a like a trackpad thing as well yeah i think i've seen that which you can just like fiddle with i don't know with your fingers i'm happy with like zx 
question mark <laughs> and semicolon for my game controls. And I never really got used to anything more complicated than that. Sure. You're old school, Seb. I know, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> I really do feel like I need to spend... I need to take, like, a week off or maybe two weeks off just catching up on all the games culture I've missed out on. Sure. Probably over the last 15 years. 20, maybe? <laughs> So you can get so many good games for the Mac now as well. They want to draw up a list of things that I absolutely have to check out. Sure. I've missed like the iconic games, those milestones in game development. I guess sure. primarily in the last ten, five, ten years. Have you checked out the three DS? Have you had a go on that? I I've played it in the shop. It's yeah. Quite quite cute, isn't it? Yeah. What What struck me though is that yeah, it's three D, but it looks mm. like a really small thing. Yeah. Everything looks like a model. It's not immersive yeah. 3D. Like it doesn't no. suck you into the world. It's like you've got a tiny little toy in your hand. Yeah, but it's kind of cute, isn't it? Mm, that is cute, yeah. but yeah. Which those things always have been, right? Those sort of handheld games. Yeah, it? but it's just weird that it's, it's weird that it's 3D, which is the, the technology that you associate with like immersion and things like that. Yeah. And then it's in the most, the least immersive form factor you could have, which is like a tiny screen. Yeah, but I guess there's 3D and there's 3D, right? I mean, like, Mario Kart is fun, but it's not exactly immersive, is it? Yeah, but if you take something like um, like Zelda, they've just re-released, uh, the Ocarina, Ocarina of Time, mm. which is like this epic game. Obviously, yeah. you know, when that first came out, it was on the N64 and it would have been on your big TV and it would have been like, wow, venturing to another realm and stuff. Whereas now, it's still like a great game from what I hear, but it's just, yeah. you know, everything looks small. Mm. And I think adding the 3D in actually makes everything look small in a way actually gives it a sense of scale I see because it's kind of like looking through a tiny little window yeah exactly because it's more real it's like yeah exactly it's like mm. you're looking at a real thing and if this was a real thing that's how big it would be it would be this tiny thing yeah okay well I think we probably should wrap it up yeah God knows how we're going to make this into a programme but <laughs> Did I mention I haven't got time to edit this one this week? No, it's okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yes. That's fine. That's um, fine. I want to have a go at seeing if I can do the, the Seb's brutal style of editing. Because <laughs> you somehow get them really short, and I never know what you've cut out either, but you somehow do it. I know, it's, it's, it's magic. I've been thinking about making an iPad app to edit podcasts, because there's no good software just for editing podcasts. I reckon I could do a really good touch-controlled iPad app, but it'd probably take me ages. Maybe I'll do it when I get a spare few months. What about GarageBand? I use GarageBand, yeah, but it's not really... I mean, I use it on the on the Mac, but it's not really good enough for... I mean, the iPad is, version is really good, but it's specific to making music, so... Right. And that's what all these apps have problems are, right? Because they're all specifically for either short bits of music or it's just very hard to edit long, massive, bulky quantities of audio in sure. any sort of intuitive way. It's always a bit of a drag. What do you normally edit on? Um, GarageBand. That's what you normally use to edit the show? Yeah. Oh, but right, then I'll do that. some processing and some other stuff as well. Right, okay. To cut it down and beat it up and all that kind of thing. Cool. All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Thank you, guys. Don't forget to tell us what hashtag you want to use. <laughs> yeah, leave a comment, leave yes. questions. Yeah, find us on ask Twitter. What, ask us what you want us to talk about, what yeah. what subjects do you want us to talk about on the show. Yeah, I'd um, love to know if, if you're still out there listening. Because we, we're still getting loads of downloads, aren't we? Yeah, we do. Very popular. <laughs> <laughs> cool, thanks a lot. I'll see thanks, you, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.